Hello and welcome to Christmas Campfire 2023, part two. I hope you all had a fantastic Christmas. We're now on the other side of Christmas where things get a little dull between sort of Christmas and New Year. And I thought that now would be a good time to do this episode. Although my hand actually ended up being uh, quite forced anyway. Last episode, I thought, the part one, I thought, got to the end of it and I felt, oh, that's a little bit low energy there. Didn't really think too much of it. Went to bed and actually ended up coming down with COVID that night. So uh, <laughs> I haven't actually had Christmas yet. I've not seen any of my family. Uh, this is the first day I'm up out of bed. Uh, luckily, my, my voice is not too croaky, I don't think. So um, yeah, hopefully it shouldn't affect this episode too much. But yeah, I hope you all had a better Christmas than me. <laughs> it wouldn't have been too much of a challenge. <laughs> so I, I've basically spent the last, I think, six or seven days in bed. Um Really boring. I've uh, been climbing the walls, absolutely climbing the walls. Every day I've been thinking, oh, I'll get up later and I'll, uh, I'll do part two of Christmas Campfire and then just not been up to it. But yeah, today we should be all right. So anyway, that's enough of all that rubbish. Let's get started and uh, see how we get on. So this first story comes from Heather. And Heather says, the story I'm about to tell you happened between my fourth and fifth grade year. It was the summer of 2018. My babysitter, Jen, decided to retire. Therefore, my mother hired a new babysitter for me. Her name was Laurie, and she lived right next to my elementary. And the elementary is known to be haunted, as it was built over a 100 years ago. I found out that two other kids who went to Jen's would also start going to Laurie's with me. The first few weeks of the summer, nothing really happened. Although one day, me and Cadence, the other girl there, we were playing in the playroom which had two doors, with one was right next to the stairs. Cadence heard footsteps upstairs, and and being a couple of years younger than me, I thought I'd play a bit of a prank and try and scare her. So I jokingly said that someone had died here and apparently that it was haunted. She didn't get as scared as I had hoped, so we dropped it and moved on with our day. But at lunch I'd asked Laurie if anyone had died at the house. She told us that there was a woman who apparently had died upstairs in the master bedroom, where we had heard the footsteps. Chills went down my spine. I've always been a believer in ghosts, so it frightened me more than anyone else. For the next few weeks after that, we would hear footsteps, and I even saw a young woman pass by the mirror at the end of the stairs. Until one day, I went into the playroom with Ty, the other kid there, closing both doors behind us as we went in. A few seconds after we shut them, they started opening and shutting on their own, and me and Ty were not anywhere near them. I screamed at Ty, yelling at him to open the door, as I just wasn't finding it very funny. I pushed my way to the door and out into the hallway. Once out, I found Laurie and Cadence downstairs on the couch, acting as if nothing happened. So I asked them if they heard me scream, but they strangely said no. For the rest of the summer after that, I don't remember anything strange happening, but that day would always stick in my head. Maybe they were playing a prank on me, maybe not. One thing's for sure is it frightened me. So that's my story. So thanks a lot, uh, Heather, for writing your story in. The next one comes from Megan. Megan says, this story is 100% my own. I've not shared it online previously, which is a really cool honour that you've uh, shared it with us today. So here we go. It says, in 2005, when I was 16 years old, I saw a supernatural creature in real life. I was with a friend and we'd just performed in a music competition. We performed well and to celebrate, we decided to go out to lunch together. He was driving and I was in the passenger seat when suddenly a creature leapt in front of our car, quickly galloping across the road and into the bushes on the other side. 
We live in rural northern Michigan and are accustomed to animals, large and small, darting in front of our cars. However, this was not an animal that we'd ever seen before or have ever seen since. He slammed on the brakes and came to a complete stop in the road. We sat in silence for a few seconds, then looked at each other curiously. We both timidly said, Did you see what I saw? A bit nervous to share, we each carefully went on to describe this being. It was the size and shape of a very tall, thin human, but running on all fours like a gorilla. It was very, very pale, nearly pure white. It had no hair at all. It ran fast, and its gait was unlike a bear and certainly not a deer. Our minds raced thinking about what we saw. The same unexplainable creature. We stayed in the car for a few minutes, idling on the road, nervously peering into the bushes they had run into. We didn't see a single branch move or anything emerge. We were both scared and agreed to not speak of it again any time soon. We continued on our way to lunch, although the meal felt less celebratory than originally intended. This experience bonded us together and we still remain the closest of friends, We recently revisited the memory of the event, nearly 20 years later, and both firmly believe that we saw something otherworldly and unexplainable. From our research in recent years, the creature turns out to be called the Rake in many online forums. There are creepy pasta versions of this story that eerily resemble my own, perhaps speaking to an experience that is shared by others. I hope you found the story interesting, or entertaining at least. Looking forward to this year's Campfire episode. Happy Holidays. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much, Megan. And that story is really interesting. And and I've actually heard a story similar. Um, I, I won't go too much into the details, but I I, I had a interview, well, not an interview, I suppose a meeting with um, some advertising bods um, for some network um, for podcasts. And they were basically looking to try and sign dark histories to their advertising network or whatever. And, and they were rubbish. Um <laughs> they were, and and so I turned them down. But in the meeting, I was talking to the guy, and, and um, because the reason I even gave him the time of day in the first place was because um, the guy that was uh, interested uh, actually did listen to Dark Histories and and had a, his own paranormal podcast as well. So I, I actually sort of gave him the time of day and say so had a meeting with them, but but you know the contract was pretty predatory. Anyway, um, he told me a story. Um, you know, we got talking and I basically said, you know, what what spurred your interest in the paranormal? And he was saying that um, he saw a creature a bit like that um, and he thought it was a gargoyle. And um, he's um, like done research into like, uh, like, like people seeing gargoyles basically. Um, and yeah, he, he saw it run out. In fr- I think he, if I remember the story right, he saw it run out in front of his car and crossing the road and so he's like pulled over to check and he saw it jump up on top of a fence and then sort of sit on top of a fence for a while and, until he approached and then it jumped down and he disappeared and lost sight of it but yeah he he basically described something quite similar to what you were mentioning actually like a kind of hunched over running all fours sort of hairless gorilla type thing um but I think obviously it, it was quite acrobatic because it jumped up onto this quite high fence and that. Um, but yeah, he, he he thinks that he saw a gargoyle. So that, that was an interesting story anyway. But yeah, it reminded me of that. So yeah, thanks very much for your story. We've got another story now from another Heather. So thank you very much, Heather, number two. Uh, and Heather number two says, I never really felt a connection with the supernatural prior to this incident and really none since. We live on the east coast of the US, and our house was built in 1955. 
We purchased the house in 2010 from the original owners who raised their four daughters here. The master bedroom was part of an addition built in the 1970s. The room is flanked by dark, hard wood, floor-to-ceiling cabinetry, and our bed is situated in the middle, backed up against the front wall of the house. My husband and I were sleeping in the master bedroom, and I was pregnant with our daughter, just beginning the third trimester. As we were sleeping that particular night, I had a sense that something was physically near to me, next to the bed. I opened my eyes and saw a large green wisp standing or hovering beside me. This thing came very close to my pregnant belly, and I had the sense that it was checking in on our daughter. In the moment, I didn't feel as though this thing was trying to hurt myself or my baby, but just making sure all was well. I don't recall seeing a face or any distinguishing features, just wisps of the colour green. After a few moments of laying there silently, the thing started to float upwards and into the tops of the wall cabinets just below the ceiling. I called out for my husband several times to wake up and see this thing in our room, but it had gone. Once he was awake beside me, I asked my husband if he saw the green shape in the room that flowed up into the cabinets, and he must have just thought I was nuts, but unfortunately he did not. I suppose the visitor was just for me. We went back to sleep, and I can tell you I did check that cabinet the following morning, but alas, all that was inside was bedsheets. I haven't felt anything else in the house since, and neither has my husband or daughter, who's now eight years old. I've caught one of our dogs looking up at the ceiling from time to time, but I figure whatever it was came just to see her. Thank you very much, Heather. That's uh, another kind of like a good story, I guess. And uh, I think it's, that is an interesting thing, actually, with the campfire episodes, is there is seem to be an even spread between sort of malignant forces and uh, sort of benign, I guess, uh, and even, you know, benevolent, um, which is quite interesting. Anyway, this next story is from Brianna. Brianna says, I'm not really sure if this is a paranormal or maybe just weird or potentially even a little heartwarming, but when this happened to me, it made what I was going through at that time a little easier to bear. In the summer of 2018, I experienced my first real loss of a loved one. I'd lost my great-grandparents before and another grandparent, but I'd been too young to really understand those deaths. That summer, I lost one of the greatest men I'd ever known, my grandfather, an Italian immigrant who was a friend to everyone he met. He knew his death was coming, but that did not do much to stop the pain that I felt the day we lost him. A few months after his passing, I woke up for work and proceeded to get myself and my 18-month-old ready for the day. I loaded her into the car, pulled out of the drive and began my less than four-minute drive to the babysitters. My daughter was a very chatty baby, but that morning she was extra talkative. About a minute or two into our drive, I looked into my rearview mirror to comment on our endless chatter. But instead of just seeing her in the mirror... My grandfather was sitting in the seat next to her. I screamed and almost wrecked the car. He looked at me in the mirror and said, I'm sorry, I wanted to let you know I love you and I'm okay, honey. I looked back at the road to correct myself and when I looked in the mirror again, he was gone. My heart was racing. Just as I was getting ready to turn into the babysitter's neighbourhood, I woke up. I sat straight up in bed, my heart still racing and also felt the most amazing sense of calm and relief. Logically and realistically, I know it was probably just a dream, but the believer in me truly believes that was my grandpa visiting me to let me know he's at peace and he's okay. He has never again appeared in my dreams, and although I still feel sad that he's not here to watch my daughter grow or meet my youngest, I hold on to that feeling I felt after that dream, and it makes me feel so much better. So that's my story. 
Not really spooky, but it definitely threw me off when it happened. Yeah, it's, uh, you say it's not spooky, but it, but it is. But it's, again, like I say, it's one of those benevolent ones, isn't it? So it's a bit easier to kind of, um, I guess, listen to. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think like stories like that are great. And I think we don't know what it is, like you say. And, and so it le- allows us to interpret as we, as we, as we need sometimes, you know, as, as we want and as we need, you know, um, you know, I guess we'll probably never know precisely what it is, but I guess we don't really need to know, um, you know, because it's given you enough and it's given you your answers, you know, so that, I guess that's enough. Anyway, thank you very much for sharing your story and uh, yeah, have a wonderful holiday and Merry Christmas to you too. So the next story comes from Sam. Sam says, the story I'm about to relate happened sometime in my late teens, in the late 1990s. It was dusk and a friend and I had been walking on the hills. We descended into the woodlands of Healy Dell, an ancient woodland, now a nature reserve near Rochdale in Lancashire. As we walked deeper into a remote part of the woods, we became aware of a strange atmosphere and a kind of weird mist in the air. It was like stepping into something from a film. Everything seemed to take on the feeling of a surreal stage set. Reality felt fake in some way. This derealization phenomena is something I've experienced during other paranormal events. Strange, yet familiar. Both me and my friend went into a strange, playful mood, both exploring the wooded area in a childlike, dreamy, almost intoxicated manner him going one way and me going the other. I became aware of the sound of voices like children's voices. They seemed happy and cheeky. I followed the sound, concentrating on it until I came to a stream. It was then that I realised that this sound of the voices was coming from the stream itself. I listened intently for a moment, entranced by the way the babbling of the water and the distinct sound of playful voices was one and the same. After a short time, I called to my friend, who was some metres away, enthusiastically but in hushed tones telling him to listen to the river we both knelt down quietly paying attention to the sound but before I had time to ask him what he made of it we both caught sight of something on the other side of the stream this part of the story is hard to describe we both silently watched as a group of lights maybe seven danced around before us on the other side of the stream they were animated and seemed strangely intelligent dancing around and interacting with each other I had the distinct feeling they could see us and wanted us to see them. There was a feeling of communication between us. I hesitate to call them fairies, but they had no distinct features. They looked like orbs of light and moved in a way reminiscent of a group of animals. The whole atmosphere was dreamlike and surreal. We seemed to be in some sort of trance. We watched in stunned silence for an indeterminate amount of time. Eventually I became unnerved and said that we should leave. I had half remembered local folk tales of fairies taking people away and thought it best to get out of there. Although looking back there seemed nothing malevolent about the encounter and the folk tales I'd heard never struck me as frightening or true even. We retreated, made our way out the bank, out the tree line into the fading light of the evening. The strange intoxicating feeling lifted as quickly as it came and we sat on the hillside exchanging only a few words in a kind of bewildered shock. As we sat there in that state, a small white feather drifted down beautifully from side to side before our eyes, eventually landing softly on my friend's knee. It so totally absorbed our attention that we were again in some kind of trance or stunned catatonia. Reality seemed somehow fake or like a play of some kind. We related our story to our friends the next day, 
and a group of us went back to the spot, but the atmosphere felt normal and mundane. There was nothing strange at all. It all seemed quite absurd. An enthusiastic friend even brought a camera along. Before and since this experience, I've had many mystical and paranormal experiences, some of which have been utterly life-changing. But this one seems relevant to share as it's more of a story of places and involves other people. Over the past few years, I've taken to going back to the same spot around Christmas to try and recognise the event. A sort of ritual, giving thanks for such a strange, beautiful encounter. Whatever it was. And that's my story. Tis most true and faithful. So thank you very much. That's a, a really nice story, actually, Sam. It's um, I, It reminds me a little that I, I read a lot of stuff like that. It seems like that this sort of folklore of that kind of fey world or other world, um, you know, thin place, things like that. Um, they're quite, it's quite traditional old school folktale now. Um, but I read a lot of it for dark histories, funny enough. Um, and especially around like the late 18th, sorry, the late 19th century and the early 20th century, there was a, a lot of that um, sort of talk amongst spiritualists um, with things like elementals and fairies. And you had that um, Netfanario episode where, you know, she thought that there were places on earth that were, um, you know, there were theories that there were places on earth that were kind of thin, thin places where the veil was, uh, you know, especially thin and, and easy to trans, uh, transverse between sort of our dimension and some sort of other place. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, this story kind of reminded me of those, which is, a, again, like a, a nice, happy story, isn't it, for Christmas Campfire? Anyway, the next one comes from Rob. Rob says, I'm 31 now and married with two children. The story I'm about to tell you happened to me and my older brother 14 years ago. I was 17 and my brother must have been about 24 or 25. To paint a picture, we were both quite rough council estate lads with absolutely no interest or clue about paranormal anything. Obviously aware of ghost stories, etc. But it was something that never interested me in the slightest. We'd never experienced anything untoward prior to the events that were about to follow and I've never experienced anything since. At 17, I live with my parents my brother lived with his girlfriend. A common occurrence back then with my brother was that he would often fall out with his girlfriend and end up back at my parents' house to stay for a few nights. He hated it and my parents weren't too keen on the whole thing, but it was what it was. Anyway, one day I'm sitting at home and my brother knocks on the door after falling out with his girlfriend and goes on to tell me that his mate has given the keys to an upstairs council flat as he lived with his girlfriend now and hadn't stayed there in months. My brother wanted to know if I was up to stopping up with him for a few nights in this empty flat. My brother said that he stayed there the previous night on his own, so obviously I jumped at the opportunity to spend a bit of time with my big bro. He told me to bring some DVDs because there was a DVD player and a TV. I packed Superbad, shout out McLovin, and a few others. We made our way over to the flat, which was a five-minute walk from my parents' house. Where there used to be very old, big family houses... The council had divided them up into flats and this flat itself was actually quite nice. I was actually expecting to be greeted by something a little bit more scruffy but apart from the spare bedroom it was nice enough. The spare room was tiny, full of the tenant's clothes, a bed, no curtains, bare walls and old floorboards. As I was looking around the place I told my brother yeah I'll just stop on the couch. Once I'd finished looking about the flat we sat down and started watching Superbad 
when suddenly all the hair on the back of my neck, arms and legs stood up and goosebumps intensely went through my whole body. I remember feeling the weirdest, uneasiest feeling I've ever felt. There wasn't a door in the sitting room and I had the strangest feeling that someone was watching me from the passage. This passage never had a light bulb, so it was pretty dark. Obviously, I kept these feelings to myself to save the ridicule and ended up just disregarding them and told myself I was just freaking myself out. As the night went on, I told my brother that he could have the couch and that I'll stay in the spare room. As I'd mentioned, the spare room was a dump, so naturally he was quite buzzing about the idea. And the thought of a door and a small room made me feel better about stopping there. So I said goodnight to my brother and I got into bed. As I lay there trying to sleep, I kept looking up at the window above the door, thinking that there was eyes on me. I can't really explain the feeling that there was nothing at the window, but it felt horrible. I eventually started to nod off, but woke when I started to hear footsteps. The bedroom door opened. It was my brother with the sofa cushions and a blanket, and he said, I ain't stopping out there, I'm sleeping on the floor in here. Naturally, I taunted him and took the mick out of him for a bit, spending about half an hour lightly tapping on the wall, then laughing my head off. We both eventually fell asleep, only to be awoken by the single most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me. The only way I can describe it is the sound of a large man stomping up the stairs aggressively. We both instantly sat up as the sound continued. Then it suddenly stopped. I told my brother to go and check. He slowly opened the bedroom door to investigate. It must have taken about two steps into the passage before running back, shouting, I've just seen an old man. I instantly believed him and never doubted it for a second. We both sourced some pins from the wall and pinned a couple of t-shirts in front of the window above the door and kept the light on. I said to him, didn't you stay here last night? He then went on to tell me that him and one of his mates went to the shop and bought some cans. They're going to have a drink in the flat. Neither had been there before and he'd just got the keys. He said he let his friend into the flat and as they went upstairs, he was trying to get the door to lock because it was a bit fiddly when all of a sudden his mate comes running down the stairs shouting that there was an old man sitting in the seat. My brother told me he just thought he was drunk or high so he just laughed at him. My brother then said that he sat there and drank by himself and crashed out pretty early. So, the next morning comes and we're sitting having a cup of tea when the tenant of the flat knocks on the door and the first thing he says to us is, have you seen our little friends yet? Me and my brother both look at each other and my brother says, is it an old man? The tenant replies, yeah, and also an old woman. We see them all the time walking in the passage. They're really friendly. It scared the life out of us. Stupidly, we both stayed there another night to the sound of tapping, stomping and footsteps. I told him I'm going back home and he went back to his girlfriend's. I still walk past that flat now and it freaks me out. So thanks very much, Rob. And yeah, that, that flat would freak me out. As with uh, yeah, many of the uh, uh, stories for the Christmas campfire, I, I can't believe you stayed there the rest of the night after hearing... Uh, and a, a heavy man stamp, stamping up the stairs and then your brother saying that he saw an old man, that would be enough. Even if it meant that I was going to get ripped from my older brother, that would be enough for me to be gone. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. 
Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Anyway, I can feel my voice is um, deteriorating and, uh, and yet yeah, it's, it's not getting any better. So I will keep cracking on for now, but I'm not sure we might have to put this back another day yet. Anyway, this next story is uh, from an anonymous writer. Uh, and this says, and uh, anonymous says, this is a long story. I've been listening to the podcast since nearly day one. I, I mean, that's an achievement in, in itself. Thank you very much, anonymous. Uh, I wanted to share this story, but I've never, but I've always been rather hesitant. I'd like to remain anonymous. I've never shared it with anyone other than those involved. Because I know if someone told me this story, I'd flat out call them a liar and say they're absolutely no way. Anyway, shared or not, I'd just like to get it off my chest. It's something that I still think of frequently, despite being nearly a decade past, and I've no more answers now than when it started. Perhaps someone removed from the situation could explain it away better. Myself and two roommates, we'll call them C and L, moved into a moderately brand new house in Lincoln, Nebraska, in the spring of 2014. At the time, the house was only five years old. My grandparents had purchased it as an investment and left me in charge of managing it. As a college student, I was all about this, as it was far cleaner and quieter than most of our other living situations for college kids. We were the only college kids on the entire street, and we assured the neighbours that we were quiet and not the type to throw wild parties. This was 100% true. We were all very quiet and despised loud parties, and the college bars which were crammed shoulder to shoulder with yelling students nightly. Our neighbours on the street were all incredibly friendly and had a bonfire with food and libations at least once a weekend. It was always a pleasant, decompressing social gathering that was small, intimate and friendly. We thought we'd hit the jackpot for living situations. The house needs some explaining. Primarily on the ground floor, starting on the front door, there was a hallway leading into the main living area. The hallway ran parallel to the garage and just before the hallway ended, there was a straight set of steps up to the second floor. Beyond the hall and the steps was the main living area, which was an open concept containing the kitchen and dining room. My room shared a wall with the east wall of the living room and kitchen, and it shared a door with the bathroom for the first floor. This bathroom has a jack and jewel style setup, where the bathroom joined my room, but could still be accessed from the living room. There was a second straight set of stairs leading to a finished basement, directly beneath the set of stairs leading to the second floor. The summer after the spring that we moved in, my two roommates went home for the summer. This was fine as their leases didn't technically start until August and they'd simply been popping in or staying the odd night or two, helping me clean and maintain the large yards attached to the home. So largely, that first summer I was alone, except for two or three construction workers who were helping finish in the basement as it was nothing but concrete and studs when we moved in. At one campfire that summer, our neighbours directly east of us brought up that the house was haunted and I rolled my eyes. 
They didn't expand on the details, likely sensing my doubt and lack of interest. I was at the time an engineering student and believed that there's no scientific proof or explanation for the existence of hauntings and therefore they were impossible. I put no stock into the story and moved on. Fast forward a few months to the start of term. My roommates both worked late night jobs, C as a bartender and L a food worker who delivered sandwiches for a popular fast food chain. So neither was ever home before 3am. I was naturally the first one awake every morning and I was sitting at the coffee table in the dining room. I had my back to the stairs in the living room, looking out to the glass back door. I remember reading my textbook and hearing very heavy steps sprinting up our staircase. I thought it was my roommate, C, who lived in the finished basement. He was a large athletic build, think linebacker size, for non-Americans think eight-man off a rugby pitch. Like I said, large muscular frame and a very heavy steps bordering on stomping about. I remember without looking up saying, good morning, you're up early, I made coffee. When I got no response, I turned to scold him for not responding and being rude, only to find no one there. I remember brushing it off, thinking that perhaps he turned at the top of the stairs and quietly went back down. Later that morning, I asked him if he'd been up the stairs earlier that morning, only for him to respond that he'd only just woken up a minute or so ago and that he'd been sound asleep since he got home at around 3.30. I simply brushed off the event and went about my day. Not but a few weeks later, we had my friend, who we'll call Jay, come over to have a fire with us and watch the football game, since it was an away game. It was only C and I as L had driven over six hours away to go home and visit family for the weekend. That night, she stayed the night at our place, since it was late when we finished up our fire pit, and she was too tired to drive home. She decided to sleep in the finished basement living room, since there was a large sectional couch to, to spread out on down there. The next morning at breakfast, she asked me if there was another girl in the house last night, because she'd heard another girl laughing several times, and someone walking around upstairs. Again, it was only C and I home this weekend and neither of us had any additional friends over. We both told her no and that she was the only one over. She asked if L had anyone over and when we told her that he'd left the day prior and was hours from us, she told us that that's not true as she'd seen him walking up the stairs to the second floor and turned into his room the night before. Again, my roommate and I looked at each other and reassured her that L in fact was gone and that she was more than welcome to go and check. We chalked it up to exhaustion or imagining things in the large home and brushed it all off. The dam really broke about mid-November that year. I was home alone as both my roommates left to work their jobs for the evening. I was sitting in the living room watching TV when suddenly I heard that same sprinting up the stairs from the basement. Naturally, it scared the hell out of me. I leapt up only to see the basement door was closed still. The part that really sent me over was suddenly the sprinting noise hit the stairs from the first floor going up to the second. I shut the TV off and walked into the room and shut and locked the door. I immediately texted both my roommates in a group chat, thinking someone had broken in and was running around the house and perhaps the sounds just seemed like they were on the stairs. I warned them via our group chat that I was sitting in the back corner of my room with a loaded rifle, watching both doors to my room and if they were home, they needed to tell me right now. Both assured me that they were in fact at work and I was home alone. After getting the text from them, I could hear the light switch outside my bedroom door incessantly flipping up and down. I could see the light constantly on, which was equally confusing and terrifying. 
but I was absolutely positive that that's what the sound was, since a light switch flipping is a pretty unique sound. I remember having some gut feeling that this wasn't normal, but I was concerned about calling the police and having the cops show up to find an empty house. I'd recently switched majors and was trying at the time to become a cop myself and was worried that making a call and, and telling them what I thought it was would certainly result in a report stating that I was a total loon and result in me never getting hired. I remember finally working up the courage to run to the front door and sat on the front porch for several hours waiting for my roommates to get home. When they finally got home, with only a few minutes of each other, we sat up for several hours until past dawn talking about what happened. Each admitted to having weird things happening, but not specifically what. All being sceptical of each other, we wrote down what we'd experienced and simultaneously revealed poker style. My other roommates had things knocked off the walls in a manner not consistent with merely falling off a wall. They claimed it was more like they were being pulled off with force and would land in the middle of their rooms. And a few things had gone missing with no explanation. The one consistent thing to that point was frequently hearing sprinting up and down stairs. We sat in silence for a bit until mid-morning and finally went to sleep with the sun high in the sky. After a short sleep, we all woke up about mid-afternoon and I went out back to sit and have some coffee. My neighbour's wife, who had mentioned the haunted house the previous summer, was also on her back porch smoking a cigarette. I greeted her and, after a brief small talk, I asked her what things she'd experienced in her house. She said that they had brought in a medium, to which I immediately thought, oh, here we go, this is going to be absolute nonsense. And she said the medium had told her that there were three entities in the home. Two brothers, one who had passed from a head-related injury and one who had passed from a heart-related problem. The medium also told the wife that she probably heard the older brother though. He wore boots and was the one running up and down the stairs. I must have gone sheep white because she stopped her story and asked why I was so suddenly interested. I explained the events up to that point and she nonchalantly dropped, oh yeah that sounds right, you might see the younger brother. My neighbour's husband came downstairs one morning to find a man standing in their living room only to disappear shortly after making eye contact. I thought I just about had a heart attack if I were in a similar situation. She reassured me that they weren't malicious and they never really had any other problems beside the occasional noise up the stairs. I don't remember the goodbyes but I do know I failed to ask about the third unmentioned entity. There were no more events until Christmas break, where everyone went home for three weeks. I packed up and locked my safe up and hid the keys in my room. I had 15 to 20 paintings that I'd done on my east wall and a wall full of hats on my west wall. I had a painting inspired by the Disney film Up and an Indiana Jones-style flat-brimmed brown hat on the other wall, hiding keys behind both, thinking I'd remember which ones I'd leave them behind since they're both adventure-themed. I locked both doors to my room, knowing no one could get into my room, as I had the only copy of the key. Things were quiet for those few weeks, and the distance from the odd happenings was a nice break. When I got back, I found my room still locked, and I was the first in the house to get back and settle in. I unpacked my medicine into the medicine cabinet and started unpacking bags. Once I was done, I went to retrieve my safe keys. Only... I didn't find them behind either that hat or the picture. I took all my paintings and hats off the wall and neither key was found. I asked my roommates in our group chat if either of them had been in my room, knowing that they couldn't really have got in through the locked door. Of course, they both responded no. By this point, I was starting to get a headache, still tearing apart my room looking for the key. I remember complaining that, so help me God or anyone listening, 
if this was ghost-related, I'd have a priest here tomorrow to kick these effers out with a by now splitting headache. I went to the medicine cabinet that I'd refilled with pain meds just an hour or so before to get some Tylenol, and to my disbelief, sitting right on top of the Tylenol was one of the safe keys. I sat there for a long bit, just staring at it, and promptly turned and went to my friend's house until my roommates returned a few days later. I explained to my roommates what happened and both swore up and down that I was the last out of the house and the first back. None of us could figure out how the key thing happened and to this day I never found the second key. Oddly, we didn't have any other events for a few months and everything was quiet leading up to one final crescendo event in early March. It was again myself, C and J, along with one of Jay's friends, who we'll call L. We had all come from a cookout with close friends that evening, and L had entirely too much to drink. I, being the designated driver, sat and helped her get into the house and had her lay down on the first floor living room couch. We all agreed to sleep in the upstairs living room and take turns keeping an eye on L in case she gets sick in the night. Then someone could wake up the others to help. C and J laid down on the floor just in front of the couch, which L was still passed out on. I sat at the breakfast bar, separating the living room and kitchen, reading a book. Sometime, near 2am, clear as day, a man started talking. Thinking it was C talking in his sleep, I set my book down, only to hear a second very clear voice coming from the kitchen just next to me. I sat absolutely dumbfounded as a conversation continued between these two voices. I don't remember what they said, because I was thinking, what the hell is going on? I remember thinking that perhaps I was imagining it, but much to my horror, C sat up and looked at me. Finally, I said, Who's there? And both voices went silent. C then asked, Who were you talking to? And I replied, No one. I haven't said a word in hours. Thinking maybe it was coming from outside, we both hopped up to see if there were any footprints around the house, to which we found nothing but fresh, untouched snow. Neither C nor I slept all for the rest of that night. The next day, both of us went back to our neighbour's house. We asked them again if they'd ever heard the brothers talk. She confirmed that she had, in fact, heard both of them talking in her living room on more than one occasion. Finally, we asked her what she knew about the third entity. She said that the medium had told her that it was a 14-year-old girl and that she wouldn't talk to the medium. My neighbour was assured that she wouldn't hear the young girl though, but that my neighbour would know it's her because she liked to take and hide things. Oddly enough, everything just stopped as suddenly as it all started. After hearing the voices that night in the living room, nothing disappeared. No more running up and down stairs. Nothing. The following summer, I asked my neighbour if they'd been having experiences in their house also, thinking that if I made it seem like we were having experiences still, they would agree for the sake of keeping up their story. To my amazement, though, she said, No, it's odd. We haven't heard anything at all since early spring. It's been the longest we've gone without some kind of noise or something happening. Evidently, they'd left or gone quiet. I lived in that house for another three years and never experienced anything again. Like I said, I've never experienced anything like the Belford house and I have no possible theories. I still don't really believe in anything paranormal. But simultaneously... I don't have any other way to explain what happened in that house with so many other witnesses. So thank you very much for your story. And I know that feeling very well in that when you're incredibly sceptical about anything paranormal, 
And yet when you've had your own experience like that and all you can say is I, something happened and I can't explain it. And that, that feels weird, doesn't it? Because the worst thing is, is being so sceptical, you're instantly sceptical of anyone else that would say the same thing. But when you, when it's yourself, obviously you can believe yourself, right? Um, it's a very, um, I guess, uh, discombobulated uh, feeling, um, dis- disjointed feeling, maybe, I don't know, like where yeah, there's a dichotomy, like one side of you feels a certain way and another side of you feels almost the complete opposite and they're, they're completely at ends. But anyway, thank you very much for your story. And and yeah, that's, that's however I've always felt about my own uh, paranormal experience or, or whatever it was. Anyway, thank you very much for sharing your story. So the next story is the last story for 2023. And uh, this is from Noah in the Netherlands. And Noah says, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast since 2017, 2018. Spring Hill Jack was the first episode I listened to. Great episode. Love doing that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and that's again, like a super long time to be listening to the podcast. So thank you very much. Noah says, in my life, I've had multiple paranormal experiences. I've never really been frightened by them. I didn't even consider them paranormal up until some years ago when I started to look more into the paranormal and realised other people had similar experiences. I live with my parents and we've had some sort of poltergeist activity for as long as I can remember. Not malevolent, but rather mischievous. We sometimes hear footsteps running up and down the stairs at night. We hear noises we can't explain and I've actually seen a book fly off the table once, like an invisible person hitting it. On Halloween 2015, I was sitting on the couch with my cat next to me when I saw a sort of grey cloud of smoke move through the wall, float through the living room and then suddenly disappear. Me and my cat both followed it with our heads and when it disappeared we both looked at each other like, did you just see that? The highlight was when tiny handprints appeared on a large standing mirror in the living room as if a child had pressed their hands to it. Only there are no children in our family nor did we have any of them visit when these handprints appeared. It had also been cleaned just the day before, and my mum swears that she once saw a little girl walking down the hallway at night. We have noticed that the activity seems to increase during the autumn, and me and my parents think we know why. I was supposed to have a sister named Sophie, but she died during pregnancy. She would have been born in autumn. We think that every autumn she visits to check on us, how we're doing, and to show that she's doing fine on the other side. Another more sinister experience occurred when I was seven or eight years old. I understand that people don't believe it. I wouldn't even believe it myself if I didn't experience it firsthand. It reads as an extremely cliche horror story, but I remember it as clear as day. I was staying at the after-school care, and I remember it being pitch black outside. I don't remember what time of year it was, but it must have been November or December, around six o'clock in the afternoon. It's really strange now I look back on it, but one of the after-school care workers decided to take us on a trip into the woods next to the school. This is quite bizarre because it was black as night, raining, and when we were in the woods, there was lightning as well. Maybe we were just really annoying and he was trying to pull off our hands and grill. In the woods lies the local cemetery. I can't remember how, it's almost 13 years ago, but we ended up playing hide-and-seek there. There were a lot of trees, bushes and hedges that separated different parts of the cemetery so it was a perfect, albeit macabre, place to play. I remember wandering off at some point into a corner that was somewhat obscured by a bunch of trees, 
but I could still see the other children playing in the distance. I hid behind a hedge, and when I peeked through the branches, I saw something slide across the ground. It looked like a typical cartoon vampire. It wore a black cloak with a red collar, and its face was white as snow. It had a horrible face with some sort of painful grimace. It moved in an unnatural way. Its body looked completely stiff and still, yet it slid over the ground as if it was on wheels. The only body movement I saw were its fingers, which it moved across the ground as if trying to get a hold of it. The fingers were pale, with long, sharp claws. Around the mouth I saw a smear of red. Even though it was dark then, the colours of the thing were very saturated, just like a cartoon. So the white was white, like snow, and the red was red not like blood, which is more brownish, but more like a cartoon tomato kind of colour. I remember not being afraid at all, but being really excited. A real vampire, I couldn't believe my eyes. But there it was, exactly like I'd seen in the movies. I jumped up and ran around the hedge, but to my astonishment, it had vanished. There was nothing or no one there. I know it couldn't have been any other children playing a prank. It had been there as clear as day, and it disappeared in what must have been a second, in the blink of an eye. The way it moved was just not human. Even as a child, I knew it was unnatural. When I returned to the other children, I didn't tell them anything, because they would have laughed, of course, but also because after my excitement had subsided, I felt quite shaken. I've been to the cemetery many times since then, and some of my relatives have been buried there. I've never had any other experiences there. Though I'm an adult now, I still think of my vampire any time I walk past the corner where I once saw it. Now that I'm writing this, I think the scariest part was probably how age-inappropriate was how age-inappropriate it was to let children play hide-and-seek in a cemetery in the dark in a thunderstorm. Have a lovely festive season and good luck with your podcast. So thank you very much, Noah. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for your story and uh, yeah, enjoy your festive season. So that is Christmas Campfire 2023 over for another year. It will be back next year uh, at the end of season eight, I guess, which will start in January. It's due to start on the 7th of January. I'm possibly going to be a little behind um, having this like COVID rubbish. Um, I, I, I'm not far behind now. It's sent me back a couple of days so far and that, that's it really because, you know, I didn't really plan on working over Christmas anyway. But obviously now I've still got now going see my family when when I get a negative test so um yeah I'm gonna lose a couple of days so I'm 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 still gonna go and say that season eight should begin on the 8th of no the 7th of January but it might be a day or two late hopefully not um anyway thank you so much for listening thank you so much for listening all year long um I guess uh it's new year now so yeah happy new year health and happiness for 2024 thanks so much for listening take care sleep tight